Welcome to Oh No, Ross and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal, but take part ourselves. Yep, when they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Carrie Poppy. And I'm Ross Blotcher. And uh, this time, Carrie's the one who showed up. Yeah, I showed up. I was like, people say Australia's there, but I know from our flat earth investigation <laughs> that that is all fake. Now, do you cover that in this talk? It is mentioned. Okay. So this is a talk that Carrie gave at... Mm -hmm. The Australian Skeptics National Convention. Now, I know what you're thinking, Ross. Carrie doesn't like the word skeptic. Mm -hmm. But I love these people. Yeah, good and people. I, yeah, they were really great, and I definitely share their values. So I was happy to take a fake plane to South America, pretend <laughs> I was in Australia, and humor fake them. continent. Now, that is a fringe belief, even within... The Flat Earth Movement. Yes, that's right. Something that even Flat Earthers can point to and say, that's crazy. But not all of them. <laughs> Indeed. Some of them really think this. Okay, so you actually went to Australia, and yes. we get to hear your talk. So this talk is called Being Skeptical of Hypocrisy. A very good title. Thank you. I'm going to be listening along with all of you. because For the first time. I didn't get to so be This is so trusting. I'm excited. <laughs> Maybe I'll I hand you the you. file, and you'll be like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I have faith in you in the sense of faith being a well-deserved trust. Well, we'll see if it holds up. I don't know if you know this, Ross, but they're not even releasing videos of this. They're not even releasing the audio. You will hear it here and here alone. An exclusive. Exactly. And this is not a demand I made. This is just them being real chill and cool in Australia. They're like, hey, you want this? Here you go. Where the toilets don't flush in the opposite direction. Correct. I pooped a lot. Water just flows however it's going to swirl. Water be water, man. Yep. But doesn't hold a curve. Here is my talk. Great conversations. Ladies and gentlemen, Carrie Poppy. Hi. Hi, everybody. Do not touch mics. It says that right here. I won't. Um, how's everybody doing? Cool. Good, good. Um, th this is my first time ever being to Australia. So thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, though you do not fool me, I know that this is South America. The Flat Earthers told me so. None of you have fooled me. I know that every single person here is an actor. And that you were recruited by my government, the United States government, don't know why, to fool me personally. And I'm not buying it for a minute. But I was actually hoping that I could get a picture of a room full of Australians giving the flat earth symbol. Is that possible? <laughs> All right, cool. So, okay. All right, ready? On four, one, two, three, four. Thank you. It looks good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Tell Mark Sargent I will. Mark Sargent is uh, one of the big flat earthers uh, who we met. And uh, quite a delight to talk to. A little, a little hard to break through to. But a nice guy. <laughs> um, so today I'm going to talk to you about being skeptical of hypocrisy. Um, I, as I was preparing this talk, I, I was asking my friends, you know, who comes to mind when you think of a hypocrite? And everybody was giving me these examples from American politics. And I was like, okay, but it's a room full of Australians. Uh, can we think of anything worldwide? And literally every single person was like, no. 
So uh, I did my best. I tried to pick people we all know, like Miley Cyrus. We all know Miley Cyrus? Yeah? Okay, cool. Um, and the Pope. We know the Pope. Okay, cool. Um, I'm, I'm a hypocrite, for sure. I bet every person here has some sort of hypocritical views, right? Here are, here are a few of mine. I really, really believe in workers' rights. I have, ever since I was maybe 15 or 16, I've been really disturbed by the treatment of workers in the textile industry. I could not tell you anything about the person who made this dress. I don't often follow through on this value. I should, and I don't. And I still talk about that, you know, and sometimes I'll, I'll remember, I'll keep it in mind, I'll be sure to seek out a company that doesn't exploit its workers, but often I don't make the grade, and you could certainly call me a hypocrite in that regard. Um, I'm also vegan. Um, I think that that's the best way to eat, and I talk about it all the time, but if you put down a piece of chocolate cake in front of me, I will eat it. Um, and then also I... I often talk about compassion and understanding. I think that's the best way to reach through to people with whom we disagree. I fail at this all the time. If you listen to my show, <laughs> you will often hear me freaking out. Uh, so, for example, my co-host Ross and I went uh, undercover in the ex-gay movement for a little bit. And when we recorded that episode, I kept telling myself, like, okay, your first job is to understand understand these people, understand where they're coming from. In that episode, I freaking lose it, and I'm shouting like, you dum-dums! It's not a sin! So, uh, you know, <laughs> anybody who listens to me give talks and hears me talk about my philosophy of compassion could very easily call me a hypocrite. And yet, when we run into people with whom we disagree, if they ha appear to have the tiniest seed of hypocrisy, what do we do? We say, that person's a hypocrite. I can completely write them off. Um, it, it becomes this sort of a, a shorthand, right? This is me with a uh, pendulum trying to predict the future um, from one of our investigations. Okay, who are some famous hypocrites? Top left, everyone recognize her, Mother Teresa. Often accused of being a hypocrite, especially like-minded people like us tend to throw this allegation around because... She did some pretty shitty things. Um, she, she had this, this place in Calcutta where she would bring people who were very sick, very injured, and quote-unquote treat them. But a lot of volunteers say she didn't. She, uh, she got a lot of people who very well could have just been given penicillin or taken to the local hospital and gotten better, but she didn't. Um, and yet she was, you know, traveling the world talking about easing suffering. Very easy to call her a hypocrite. Jenny McCarthy, <laughs> um, a darling of the skeptical movement. She, of course, is uh, famously anti-vaccine, though she's backed off on that a little bit in recent years. But uh, one of her reasoning was, I, I, I'm not going to stick chemicals in my child. And yet she sells e-cigarettes. Okay. Leonardo DiCaprio, the right in uh, the, the right wing of, of Americans uh, tend to pick on him a lot because he's a very devoted environmentalist, but he also had a personal jet for many years. So, you know, uh, put your money where your mouth is, sort of thinking. Bill Cosby, obviously, um, famously moralized about how young black men should act and was personally committing terrible crimes. Uh, Ted Haggard. Do you guys know who Ted Haggard is? Did that make it out here? 
So, yes and no. Okay, um, so he was a mega pastor who was virulently anti-gay, and it turned out that he was having a years-long relationship with a male sex worker. Yeah. So, of course, when the, <laughs> the person who clapped... <laughs> I don't know what the clapping was for, but I'm glad you're having a good time, man. Uh, <laughs> so... Um, uh, yeah, so obviously, really easy to write this guy off, right? I mean, <laughs> he says he's anti-gay. He's obviously not. Okay. Um, Miley Cyrus, uh, she, when she was very young, she would give all these interviews saying, I'm never going to do drugs. I'm never going to drink because I just think it makes you look stupid. Uh, and now, of course, it's kind of part of her popular persona is that she's very involved in party culture. So these things all feel like hypocrisy. And uh, I found the most extreme anti-hypocrisy quote I could, the only vice that cannot be forgiven is hypocrisy. The repentance of a hypocrite is itself hypocrisy. To which I say, yikes. A <laughs> little bit much. I mean, surely we should be able to change our minds, right? But at the same time, I get it. You know, there, there are different types of hypocrisy and different ones strike us in different ways. Um, and, uh, and some seem a lot worse than others. Oh, yes, yeah, because you remember. Um, types of hypocrisy. These are the first ones that come to mind for me. You might be able to think of more. There's do as I say, not as I do, like Ted Haggard, right? Or Paris Hilton, she did an ad encouraging people to go out and vote, and then it was revealed she was not registered to vote. Uh, changing your mind about something you made a BFD about, that's big effing deal. Um, like Miley Cyrus, right? Okay, yeah, she changed her mind, but she made this big to-do about it before, so that feels a little more like, eh, we want you to atone a little bit. Competing values. So this, I think, is probably the kind of hypocrisy that activists deal with a lot. Um, I like science, but I don't like vaccines. Or I'm, I'm pro-life, but anti-welfare. Or, to turn that on its head, if you come from the other position, I'm pro-welfare, but I'm anti-abortion. To the people who disagree, both of those look like hypocritical stances, even though they are mirrors of each other. Um, and then, of course, not trying hard enough. So, me, right? Talking about workers' rights, I have a coat literally from Zara. Okay, so I hate it when people define words, but when I looked up where the roots of hypocrisy came from, I thought, oh my gosh, I wish we still thought about hypocrisy this way. Hypo means under, krenin means to decide. Someone who hasn't totally decided, someone who hasn't completely committed. That seems like kind of a healthier way to look at hypocrisy, both in ourselves and in other people. Hey, Carrie. Yes, Ross, is it? I'm going to let you finish. <laughs> but I wanted to interrupt your talk here 
to tell people because I'm sure at this point they're thinking, my goodness, I would love to see Carrie and maybe Ross live in person. Definitely Ross. And we told everybody, thanks to our Max Fun Drive, that we would be doing live shows around these here states that are united. Yes, sort of united, yes. <laughs> right. Loosely the, United States. The elections just happened. Uh, we hope they went well. Oh, right. We're, we're recording, recording this, this Sunday. Before. Yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Tuesday, there'll be more of us. Whatever it means for us to cross our fingers. But anyway, th- there are plenty of awesome shows coming up. There's going to be even more. But right now, we can announce a new one. Yes. In Portland. Portland, Oregon. Do you hear that, Portland? Choo-choo. We're coming your way. Sorry, other Portland in oh, Maine. Oh, yeah, Portland, Maine. Don't worry. We're going to get out to the what East Coast as well. What must it be like to be Portland, Maine? Everyone's always like, Portland? Oh, Oregon? No. I'm the Portland, Maine. Well, not as confusing as being from Springfield. You're right. There's a lot of those. So how can people find this? So we are going to the Mission Theater. On January 16th. Yes. 2019. Now you Portland folks already know this, but the Mission Theater is a McMinimins. So I know y'all love your McMinimins. It's fun to say. It's fun to go to. So <laughs> you can go to McMinimins.com. And they'll be making tickets available after this episode is released. So we will share the link. Yes, we will. November 9th. Yes. 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 As Stanton Freeman would say. Also, we have still a few more tickets at our Minneapolis show. Yeah. They they rearrange things somehow, and there are more seats available. Yes. uh, Well, more tickets. Some are standing, some are sitting. So that's in Minneapolis on Sunday, November 18th. Also, an upcoming show in Seattle and one in Nashville, so if you're interested in these, you can go to carrypoppy.horse mm-hmm. and find the links there That's for those shows. where all our upcoming events currently live. <laughs> Speaking of which, all of you are wondering, wait, weren't they going to talk more about Teal Swan? Yes, we are. There is more coming. Anyway, you were, what you, is this? You were saying, ah. Carrie, in your talk. So I think hypocrisy can actually be a good sign. I think sometimes it's actually an indicator of moral goodness. It's an indicator that someone's trying really hard and not quite making the grade like me and the chocolate cake, right? Um, And for you guys, when you're being activists, when you're going out and you're talking to people who have views that you disagree with and that are really consequential, you can stop and say, okay, it seems like this person has a hypocritical point of view. But instead of jumping down their throat or writing them off, I'm going to stop and I'm going to think, what are the two views that are in conflict? They say they're pro-science, but anti-vaccine. God damn it. That makes no sense. But if they really are pro-science, could I leverage that to talk about vaccines instead of starting with No, no, no. Vaccines have all the science behind them. You obviously aren't pro-science. What if I start here? So I want us to start getting in the habit of noticing that hypocrisy is in the eye of the beholder. And it can be a little little bit of a bell for you. Oh, okay. This person has two points of view that I am noticing are in conflict, and they don't. Maybe that's the beginning of a conversation. Um, Oh, like I said, sometimes hypocrisy just indicates inner struggle. Like... Ted Haggard, the mega pastor. Yes, it is deliciously ironic when someone we don't really care for anyway turns out to not be sort of uh, walking the talk. But at the same time, think about this guy's life. 
Like, why did he become a mega pastor? I sure have a guess. I think probably this guy was brought up to believe that everything about him was sinful. What do you do with that? Well, some people say, okay, the way to fight this will be to fight my internal world and my external world. I am going to fight sexual sin here and there. And if I commit myself in front of God and the whole world, maybe that will keep me pure and honest. Of course, it doesn't work out, but I think there's a real attempt there. And I think we all do it too. And then there's something called moral licensing. So moral licensing is this, uh, this idea that when we've already done something good, we kind of feel like we've put some money in the piggy bank. So if, uh, let's say, I go and I trade in my gas-guzzling car for um, a hybrid, um, and then I come home and all of my recycling's on the floor and I have a big pile of it, and I'm like, ugh, you know, my apartment doesn't do recycling, I have to walk a few blocks to put it in that stupid blue bin. You know what? I got a hybrid today. I don't really owe the world this one bag of recycling. So we kind of give ourselves these, these little, you know, passes because of our past behavior. Now, to me, the person not turning in the recycling, that might feel pretty fair. To you, the person who heard me going on about environmentalism while I was buying that goddamn car, this sounds a lot like hypocrisy. Here's um, the, uh, a definition from a meta-analysis about moral licensing. The effect that when people initially behave in a moral way, they're later more likely to display behaviors that are actually immoral, unethical, or otherwise problematic. Um, oh, no, no. <sighs> Um, don't want you to read that yet. Um, so there's, uh, there was a study that came out in uh, early this year about environmental activism that had a, a really startling conclusion that you almost read. Uh, so here's what they did. They, um, it, let's see, this is out of the Journal of Experimental Social Psychology. Um, so... They did this experiment where they asked a bunch of people, okay, um, imagine that someone uh, walks up the side of the road and they see a bike that's discarded, a really nice bike, and uh, they don't have a bike. And they know that they could take it to the police station and maybe it would go back to its original owner, but the odds are probably pretty slim. Is it ethical for this person to take the bike? So most people said, no, you know, strictly speaking, we want a world where people generally err on the side of getting things back to their rightful owners. So no, that's unethical. Then they asked a second group the exact same thing, but they changed one word. Instead of somebody, they said you. So they said, imagine you're walking along, you come across this bike, it's a beautiful bike, you don't have a bike. Um, but if you return it to the police, the chances of it getting back to its rightful owner are pretty slim. All of a sudden, this became a much grayer situation. Everyone started saying, well, you know, the thing is, I do not have a lot of disposable income, and I could really use a bike. You know, I have loved bikes since I was a child. And suddenly, the justifications began.
And, uh, oh, uh, oops. Same study, different study, maybe different study. Okay, um, uh, so anyway, as you can guess, the conclusion was, okay, when we are looking at our own behavior, we tend to be uh, very subjective. And we're looking at other people's behavior, we tend to be really objective. Um, then, uh, similarly, there was this other study that you've now seen twice, um, <laughs> where they looked at people who said they were highly concerned about climate change and people who said, eh, I think they're kind of overblowing this whole climate change thing. The people who said they were the most concerned were actually the most likely to do things like uh, use a lot of plastic or not recycle. And the people who said, ah, I don't think it's that big of a deal, were the most likely to actually make changes in their personal lives. What the heck? Yikes! So, uh, so what I think is happening here is we, we kind of buy ourselves credit and the more that we abstract ourselves from the principles, the more that we think of them kind of as like values that we have, but we don't really populate them with specifics, the more that we tend to be very righteous, you know, I have this principle until it actually arrives on my doorstep and I have to live it. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, Carrie, Carrie, Australia, Carrie, it's time for a break. Maybe <laughs> a siesta or perhaps, I don't know, a nap. Absolutely. Oh, and I know where I'm going to do it. Where are you going to nap, Gary? <laughs> I'm going to do it on my Casper mattress. I hope that's where you were leading that's me. That's exactly where okay, I was leading you. Okay, I see, I see. We're interrupting again to let you know that Ono, Ross, and Carrie is supported in part by Casper. Yes, they're a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. They offer affordable prices because Casper cuts out the middleman and woman. Mm -hmm. Don't worry, the women are getting cut out as well. The women have lost their jobs. <laughs> well, equal opportunity here. And it sells directly to the consumer. That's right. That's you. And, you know, once you've got that new bed, you can say, hey, middle woman, take a nap. Take a load off. You've been working really hard. You've heard us talk about Casper before, and maybe that time your bed was still doing great. But at this point, you're thinking, you know what? I am ready for replacement. That means it's time to order a Casper, and it will be delivered to your door. None of this weird... You know, calling the friend who has the truck. Uh, I used to be the friend with the truck. But you loved it. I actually did. I like helping people move. Such a strange thing to love. I guess but so. I'm glad you do. I'm it's glad you do. Because I'm part Mormon, I think. Ah, uh, right, right. But they come to your door and they unpack them. And now you have a mattress and you get to try it out. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. It's like a science experiment. You know those things you get as a kid that are like little capsules and you put them in water and out pops a dinosaur 20 minutes later? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like that, but a mattress. Thank you for mentioning that. That brings back many happy memories. Oh, good. So Casper brand mattresses combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. Don't you hate it when you just get sink but no bounce? Right, or bounce and no sink. Oh, the worst. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. You get a third of a year to figure out whether you like this mattress. There's no risk. There's no risk. There's zero risk. So get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting Casper, that's C-A-S-P-E-R, dot com, slash O-N-O, O-H-N-O, and using promo code Oh no, O-H-N-O, at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. 
Back to Carrie. Okay, guys. I'm going to tell you about Henry. Um, Henry's not his real name. But uh, Henry is a man who used to work in organized skepticism in the United States. Um, And I met Henry in 2011 when I was a volunteer for an organization called the James Randi Educational Foundation. That's me on the left. I am dressed as a zombie. We are going to the medium James von Prague to ask him if he will accept our million-dollar check, if he will just prove that he can actually speak to the dead. So we all dressed up as zombies to really drive the point home. So I met Henry at this event, and we shared a lot in common. Um, He was really, really dedicated to fighting con artists, which is something I care about a lot. He was also a very vocal feminist, which was something that was lacking a little bit in that movement at that moment. Um, So I I fell in love with Henry, and we ended up working together and, uh, and being in a relationship. And when we met, he had lived in Louisiana, which is very far from Los Angeles, um, but he ended up moving out, and it was very romantic. You know, while our other friends were saying, do you guys want to go to the movies this weekend, you know, uh, do a double date or whatever, we'd say, no, we have to go picket this psychic. And, <laughs> you know, it was, it was really wonderful to share this deep connection about really fighting deception. Well, three and a half years in, Henry broke up with me. It was really unexpected. I didn't understand why, uh, because, you know. Um, (laughs) And so I I really started kind of doubting my own minds because I had believed, like, he and I were connected at this really base level and we were probably going to be together forever. And what the heck had happened here? So then one day I was talking to this woman who was in another skeptic group And she brought up Henry. And I got a little defensive because he had mentioned her before. I knew that she had had like a big crush on him. And I thought, oh, this is going to be uncomfortable. And I said, did he like, I know you had a crush on him. Did he lead you on? And she said, lead me on? We were sleeping together for six months. And I said, wait, when? And she said, uh, 2012? And I said, oh, no. So she and I started pawing around and reaching out to different women who he had mentioned in passing. And we realized, oh no, it's not just the two of us. There's a third woman. And then we realized, it's not just the three of us, there's a fourth woman. And then we realized, oh no, there's not just the four of us, there's a fifth woman. And then we realized, oh my God, it's not just the five of us. There is a sixth woman. And then we realized, oh my God, it's not just the six of us. There's a seventh woman. And then we realized, oh my God, it's not just the seven of us. There's an eighth woman. And then we realized, oh my God, there's not just the eight of us. There is a ninth woman woman. But nothing could prepare me for the 10th woman. Owl, 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 owl. Wait a second. I could have sworn that was an alien. No, 
but it's, it's just an owl. An owl. It's just, but it, just but it's, a simple a four real, foot owl. It's a, yeah, it's a tall owl. Mm-hmm. Are, are they supposed to be four feet? Oh, yeah. I mean, don't even look at me. I'm definitely not an alien in disguise. I'm just like a regular owl. Mm-hmm. Okay, this isn't like a screen memory or anything like that. Because I've heard of that. I'm savvy. Of course not. I've listened to Mike Cleland. I know this situation. I think you're an alien. I would not do that to you, and you should look over there. Okay. And have wait, a snack. Wait, where'd you go? <laughs> I looked away. Now you're gone. Hey, everybody. It's been a long time since we started our owl contest. And as you can tell from that docudrama, we have <laughs> returned to it. So, yeah, you may remember that we did a little contest where we said you back in april half a year ago <laughs> oh boy where we said you can send us a piece of art any kind of art of owl art i should say yeah specifically and owls we were blown away and it- we got 92 submissions wow. all of those books have been sitting in my bedroom how many times did you bone next to those books in six months <laughs> Oh, goodness. It's okay. You don't have to answer. I'm I'm not doing the math in my head. (laughs) So whoever wins these, you can think about that. Oh, Ross really is multiplying. Maybe about 50 times. Oh, wow. Well, (laughs) good on you and good on those books. And you can blame Carrie for asking that question. So so what we're going to do is we're going to reach out to these awesome winners and send them copies of Mike Cullen's books. One of them I read, the newest version. I borrowed one of your copies to read so thank you for letting me borrow it no problem i didn't even remember i owned one no no to whoever receives that oh, one. oh gotcha. i read it before you got a chance to oh, got it. contest winner so Phew. our wonderful and talented winners include brian spranger who did an amazing knitted hat that i like so much I had bought to, one for me. I had to buy a second one. I commissioned it for you. So we'd both for have owl hats. Because Carrie was mad. I said, oh, I'm calling this hat if we can get it. And you're like, oh, man. <laughs> and then you got me one. Now we both have them. Then we have Sage Cotanola. Nina Marindel. Alex Whitcomb. Drew Meager. What a great name. Drew is such a good name. And we've interacted with him before. He did a print that I also bought for you back oh, in the day. Oh, that's that guy. Yeah. It's on my wall. Does these awesome woodcuts. Then Valerie Harness. Paul Yukowitz. Megan LeMay. Dan Grissom. Maddie Frankie. Kimberly Qualls. Lee Chirolis. Morgan. James Utz. Heather Silsby. David Bergen. Sonny Ammerman. Aaron Crone. Allison Becker, who wrote an awesome song that we'll include at the end of the episode. Oh, it's so good. And Sasha Minkins. Congratulations. We'll reach out to you. Yeah. And my wife's going to fulfill all of these and uh, mail them off to you. She's excited about getting them out of our room, but also I think she enjoys <laughs> the idea of, of mailing these books to everybody. Oh, that's really she, sweet. She's already got the mailers and everything. Now, Mike Clellan signed all these, right? Yeah. And thank you to everybody who wrote short stories and knitted things. Oh, my and, gosh. So much cool stuff. Yeah. Such an outpouring of creativity. Uh, we love you listeners. You're, you're so talented and creative. It's awesome. Uh, so congratulations, and ow, 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 ow. When she called me, because I had written her a handwritten letter, I had found her. Listen, don't fuck over an investigative journalist. We will, we will find all your exes. We will figure it out. So I, uh, I had written her this handwritten letter. She called me, and she said, Hi, got your letter. I don't know what to say. I've been married to Henry for 10 years. 
So, <laughs> as you can imagine, the world crumbled beneath my feet and beneath her feet. She lived in Louisiana. She was 16 years his senior. He had told her, I'm going to move to L.A. and make it big, and then I'll send for you and your daughter. Um, she did clarify. She said, we had this commitment ceremony in my living room, but we never made it legal. So I, I call him my husband, but he's more my common-law husband. Um, and uh, she and I and all these women became friends. And it was really freaking easy to say, oh my God, this hypocrite, fuck him. Because he was fighting con artists and was a con artist, right? I mean, he was getting something from all these women. And as we pawed through the stories, they were all different things. There were some women that he kind of extorted money from. There were women that had professional connections, obviously getting sex from most or all of them. He was manipulating all these people in exactly the same way he had been fighting them in his career. And this was so shocking. And I was obviously really mad but as time has passed, I've really looked back at that a lot and thought, what was really happening there? And is there something I can learn about myself from the way he acted? And I, I think there is. Um, <laughs> that's, the, that's the bike study. <laughs> um, so, so I think when... When we recognize something really bad in ourselves, we do want to fight it, right? I mean, I don't know. I, I really care about animal rights, and I fight at that, or I, I, I fail at that fight all the time. But I worked formally in animal rights anyway. You could call me a hypocrite. I think hypocrisy might signal a lot more going on beneath the surface. And now I picture Henry, and I might be wrong about this, maybe he's just a freaking sociopath, but I picture him and I think, what if he said to himself, God, I am terrible. <laughs> I am very good at lying. I am very good at manipulating I see how psychics do that too, and maybe if I commit myself publicly to that fight, I'll follow through, kind of like Ted Haggard. And I think this is something we can pull to mind when we are talking to anybody about their consistency or their inconsistency. So... Um, one of the things that I discovered in my research as I've been reading about hypocrisy is that actually the, the people who commit themselves to abstract rules, people like priests and judges, are actually more likely to commit hypocritical behavior because they're so close to the flame. They're thinking about these issues all the time. They're buying themselves moral licensing, and they're drawing these lines in the sand that maybe they can't live up to. So when we're talking to people about consistency, when someone says, I believe in science, but I don't 
believe in vaccines. Can we stop and say, okay, this could be an inner struggle in their minds, and inner struggles are painful. Could we stop and say, okay, you know, maybe they have two values that are in competition, and rather than writing them off for their inconsistency, maybe I can help bring those into alignment. This is a, a really great uh, cartoon that I did not make, that I found on the internet. So this is our, our hypothetical person uh, we're arguing with, right? He reads uh, that evolution is true, and he says, yeah, science works. Global warming is real. Science, bitches. Vaccines are safe. In your face, science deniers. GMOs are safe. Nuh-uh. So obviously, inconsistency, there's no denying it. How do we usually handle this? This is what I do. Let's ignore all the places where we agree, because that's settled. I don't need to worry about it. And let's spend all my attention on this one where you're fucking up. Okay, so GMOs are safe. Let me tell you all about the science. Uh, what happens then? Of course, the whole conversation ends with me feeling very good that I made all my points and them not changing their minds. I think instead we can do this. We can spend an equal amount of time bridging the gap, saying, oh my God, I know, isn't evolution amazing? And talking to them about why they believe that. How did they come to that conclusion? Because here's the thing, people also might not know. They might say, oh, I believe in evolution because I love science. And then you talk to them about it, and it turns out they really believe in evolution because they trust people, because they don't have this sort of suspicion that their teachers are lying to them. That's really where it came from. And I'd urge you not to be legalistic when you realize this. Don't say, wait a minute, you said it was because you love science. Follow them down the path. Go down that journey with them. Okay, so it sounds like you're saying you can trust people in power because of the checks and balances that are built into that power. Okay, that's fair. That's a fair principle. So tell me why you think GMOs kind of doesn't fit that model. And this conversation is probably not going to be solved in five minutes. It's probably not going to be solved in 10 minutes. It might not be solved in six months. It might take years. Where these kinds of things are, are really hard to nip at. And it requires a lot of patience and it requires a lot of humility because it means that you have to say, I don't get to walk away from this the victor. Shut up, old Carrie. This is new Carrie. Hey, new Carrie. Hey, what's up? I'm here. I'm totally changed. This is my new personality. Whoa, I arrived on a <laughs> motorcycle. What do you think? Uh, it's, uh, it's bold. It's pushing the envelope. Thank you. Thank you. You know what else pushes the envelope? Third love. Yeah. yeah. Good lingerie at a reasonable price. And actually, that's funny that you'd mentioned that because this episode is actually sponsored in part by Third Love. Oh, I just love talking about them now. Yeah, no. What I, an amazing coincidence. I can imagine. Using millions of real women's measurements, Third Love designs its bras with breast size and shape in mind. Third Love is an industry leader with 70 sizes in cup sizes A through H and bands up to 48. I've heard about half of women fall in between standard cup sizes, and Third Love uses half cup sizing. Oh, nice. So if you're in between, you can f still find what you need. Yes, Not be falling out all over the place, not be uncomfortably wobbling around inside. Right. So you can find your fit in 60 seconds with Third Love's online fit finder, then order them and try them on at home. If you don't love their product, returns and exchanges are free and easy. 
then that's true. My wife wanted to exchange one. No problem. Oh, nice. Did she like her new one? Yeah. Now she's got two bras from Third Love. Nice. That's six loves. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. No, the math works out. <laughs> I have two Third Love bras, and they genuinely, I'm not just saying this, you guys, they really are my two new favorite bras. They're good. Yeah, that's that's excellent. It's good stuff. If you are like me and your bra straps are always falling down, Third Love has the solution. It's this like like an accordion mm-hmm. on your on your strap. It's so great. And Third Love recently launched their most requested style, cotton t-shirt bras and cotton underwear, a line of incredibly soft, smooth, and breathable bras and underwear. If you're intrigued, go to thirdlove.com slash oh no, O-H-N-O, now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash oh no for 15% off today. You were saying, old Carrie. Um, so where should we put our energy when we want to have these conversations? I mean, I just told you what to do if you have six months with a person, but what about the guy you meet on the street and you don't want to invite him to dinner for six months? Um, what about him? So one thing that I've noticed from my investigations (laughs) on my show is that there are kind of four camps that I think people fall into when they're making extraordinary claims. We go over these quickly. Um, So there's fringe science, conspiracy, paranormal, and spiritual. Sometimes people argue from a fringe science perspective. You know, they say things like, I don't know, I just think like the studies on vaccines aren't really in and I've read about them. I, you know, I looked online, I tried to wrap my head around it and I, it just, it didn't sit well with me. That person's still talking about evidence, right? But if they get to Step two, conspiratorial, and they're talking about the media and how it's covering up the real evidence or the government or, God forbid, the Illuminati. Um, If they get there, two things are happening. One is they're kind of acknowledging implicitly that the evidence isn't enough, so they need another layer of explanation. Okay, the evidence is being covered up. Then... If they kind of, if they feel like even that's not enough, they go to this third level, paranormal. Okay, okay, well, um, you know, there's an energy to vaccines, and they, uh, they, you know, they screw up your insides because they have this, uh, you know, uh, metaphysics. Um, you get to this paranormal, and then the last one is spiritual. And I've noticed that with most movements, I watch the adherents go through this process. They go from fringe science all the way to spiritual. And the UFO movement is a really strong example of this right now. Because at least in the U.S., not sure about here, we definitely started with fringe science. We're talking about rocks and photos and videos. We are all the way down to God is, is putting counter evidence out there to make you think that the aliens haven't visited us, but it's a test of your faith. Once someone's there, it is, it's tough. So you can ask yourself with each person, okay, what stage are they at? Are they still talking about fringe science? Because if so, we, you know, I might be able to have a five-minute conversation with this person that plants a seed, not be too mean, not be too aggressive, but, you know, here's some counter evidence you could look at. I'm going to let someone else water that seed in another conversation. Um... But if it's someone you just met and they're talking about 
Jesus, it's going to be a lot harder for you to make any dent in that conversation, right? You can leave that to the people who are close to that person, who can have that six-month conversation with them. Because your time is a limited commodity, and your energy is a limited commodity, no matter how much you want that not to be true. Um, And then, of course, where do we agree? So, okay, ding-dong, the bell goes off. You think you spot hypocrisy. What are these two values they have that seem to be in conflict, and do you agree with one of them? Okay, I agree that science is good. Let's talk about that. Um, And then just ask yourself, do I need to do this? Because we're not so good about this one, about letting ourselves off the hook when you don't have to have every conversation, and you certainly don't have to win everyone. And I really want to give you guys this gift that you don't have to convince everybody You really don't, and especially people on Twitter. (laughs) You don't need to do, you don't need to spend your energy doing that. And think of yourself as like a machine that you put oil in. It's going to run out at some point, and your energy's like that. No matter how much you want to be above that, you aren't. So spend your energy wisely. Okay, but here's the big dumb exceptions. There's always some. So, okay, when can we talk about hypocrisy? Because this all sounds not fun at all. So I think you can talk about hypocrisy when you're talking about not to. And a good example of this is cult leaders. Um, I've joined a lot of cults, you guys. And um, cult leaders are probably the most hypocritical people out there. When you're talking to a follower and you're trying to point out the situation that they've been put in, that they are in a totally imbalanced power dynamic, totally fair to point out hypocrisy. Your leader is asking things of you that he doesn't have to do. That's not fair. But there, you're not talking to the leader, you're talking to the follower. And similarly, in formal debate, um, this is kind of a weird one because in debates, we're ostensibly talking to the person we're debating to, but we're not. I pretend to talk to him, but I'm talking to you. So if you're in a formal debate, I think it's okay to say, ah, I think you might be being inconsistent there because I'm actually trying to get you guys to notice the inconsistency. When the stakes are low, obviously, like, you're blowing off steam with your friends and you're like, get a lot of this mega pastor. Who cares? Um, But when the hypocrite is you, I think this matters quite a lot. This is where we really should focus our attention on hypocrisy because... If you are not living up to your principles, you can't really ask anybody else to. And it's okay when you aren't. It's, it's okay. But be honest with yourself. Say, okay, you know, this is the human condition. Of course I have commitments I don't follow through on. And if you understand that in yourself, you're going to be much better at outreaching to other people. So I'm a hypocrite. So are you. So, <laughs> so are these Australian animals. But I just want you to know I know the truth. (laughs) None of you have fooled me. And I'll take questions. (laughs) Hi. Hello. Okay, question time. Oh, and there's quite a few. I'm going to start off with a beautiful one first. Are you still drinking your own pee? (laughs) <laughs> Am I used to drinking my own pee? Are, are you still drinking? Oh, I still drink yeah. my own pee. Yeah. <laughs> Half this audience is like, 
Pardon? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so one accent. of the recent investigations was we tried um, urine therapy, which, yes, which means you, uh, you drink your own pee, um, to try to cure various ailments. I am not still drinking my own pee. The last pee I drank was actually Ross's, my co-hosts. You just answered my second question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Carrie, do you think a science teacher at a religious school is hypocritical? Oh, what a great question. Is a science teacher at a religious school hypocritical? Um, I guess if... I I guess my answer is yes, and that's okay. (laughs) I mean, I think... uh, you know, we've we've kind of dug into hypocrisy here and said, okay, it's like it's a very complicated situation when someone's being a hypocrite. The person who goes to a religious school and actually, like, imbues those kids with the ability to question is probably doing a really good thing. Hmm. Great answer. Okay. How do you go about changing your habits and becoming more empathetic and strategic talking about the hypocrisy you see in, in someone? Whoa. Okay, what? Just an easy one. <laughs> How do you go about changing my habits and being more empathetic and strategic, talking about the hypocrisy I see in someone, open parentheses, instead... <laughs> instead of the intuitive response to see hypocrisy and immediately call it out in a negative way. Okay, I think I understand. Um, so, you know, I, th- I think the question is basically, like, how do you kind of get the more the, um, the internal emotional fortitude to, to keep out this fight. Um, so that's different for everybody. For me, actually, meditation has really been the key. For me, sitting with my thoughts and feelings, and what I've noticed a lot for me is that I will notice that um, I get really anxious when I think I am supposed to have the answer and I'm supposed to have it right now. And if I don't answer this right, then they're going to walk away with the wrong impression and then they're not going to vaccinate their kid or whatever, you know, and all of a sudden the world is crumbling because I didn't have the answer. And so being able to sit with myself and say, oh, okay, you know, you're having this feeling, it's anxiety. And that anxiety is just a physiological thing that kind of calms it down and um, allows me to do that work. Is it okay that we're asking you questions now? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> to make oh, you stressed oh, out. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't understand I'm the context sorry. of that question. It's very <laughs> philosophical. <laughs> Do you think we do more harm than good when we hold politicians to account for changing their positions, so, you know, flip-flopping, instead of encouraging them to change their minds with new evidence? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, there is some nuance to this. Of course, there are people who go back and forth on issues quite a lot and you know we all learn to trust or not trust somebody that's just a reality uh so you know if you know that this person goes back all the time forwards and backwards it's fair to start to suspect that they're just doing whatever the culture expects of them and they're trying to capitalize on that but i think we still have to reward when they do the right thing because the first principle of behaviorism is reward the behavior you want, no matter why that person's doing it. Okay. 
Having developed your approach to reconciling conflicting, conflicting beliefs in mind, would you do anything different with your ex-gay experience? <laughs> yeah, you know, a funny thing happened when we were recording those episodes. I realized that, uh, actually, that anxiety I was just talking about, I had a lot of it. And, and I realized it was because I really wanted to prove to my fellow leftist cohorts that I get it. Um, and I, in particular, I have a trans family member, and, um, and I felt like, you know, I really need to prove that, like, I understand, and, and uh, I, you know, gay is okay, you know? <laughs> I mean, in this, in this very base sort of survival way, I really wanted to prove that I was on their side. And I think that colored how I delivered those episodes, and, and I regret it, because I think the actual movement toward understanding would have been if I had really sat with why those people who are suffering over a gay family member, why are they suffering? How did they get taught this really screwy belief and, um, and really empathize with them? So, yeah, I regret it. Uh, on a different topic, a question has come in. Is there a specific reason you didn't use the term cognitive dissonance during your speech for the discussing mm. conflicting views? Oh, right. Uh, nope. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, conflicting viewpoints, cognitive dissonance. Uh, it's all the same. Same, same, but slightly different. Okay. Um, someone said, you said Australia is not real, but it is on the picture of the flat earth behind you. <laughs> well, it was. <laughs> Uh, yeah, prove it. Yeah, it's, that's yeah right. fair enough. It's being cleaned up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I really don't understand where this claim comes from, but I heard it multiple times from Flat Earthers, so ask Jaren, Jarenism, at Jarenism on Twitter. He will answer all your Flat Earth questions. Fantastic. Something to do in the break. Okay, last question. <laughs> Abstracting away from actual problems seems to be a common failure mode for government policy. How can we try and fight this? Um, abstracting from the actual problems. From actual problems, so distracting, I, I guess distracting as well, moving away from that seems to be a common tactic of, of government. <sighs> mm -hmm. I don't know. I think I'm not the person to ask this question of, and I would be bullshitting you if I answered it. I'm standing by that. It's a very honest answer. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bit of alarming trivia for you. Someone's written in, are you aware that Chatsford, which is where we are here today, is the mecca of Scientology in the Southern Hemisphere? Um, uh, I guess I wasn't aware it was specifically the Mecca. I did know you guys have a couple orgs, and on my very first day here, before I even went to sleep, I went to your Scientology org. Um, so people who know about our investigation of Scientology know that Ross and I are not allowed in any org, um, at least in L.A., maybe across America, I don't know. But I wanted to see if my picture has traveled all the way here because they recognize me at any org across LA, and LA's huge. Um, so I took Trish, one of your organizers, <laughs> poor Trish, to the Scientology org, and I wrote down my real name, and I came in for a tour, and we walked around, and we were waiting for someone to kick us out, and it didn't happen, so. I, uh, I'm okay in the Australian org, I guess. Maybe you should take an excursion down there this afternoon. <laughs> Test it out. Um, 
Last question. It's not a question, it's a comment, and it probably reflects all of us, including me. It says, no question, just a thank you from the bottom of my heart for existing, Carrie. <laughs> That's so sweet. And on that note, thank you. ladies and gentlemen, thank Carrie Poppy. Ooh, a present. I just want you to know I did not touch the mics. I heard differently. <laughs> oh, that was a good talk. Thank you for sharing that with us, Carrie. You're welcome. Well, someday I'll get to Australia. Yeah. If it really exists. It doesn't. But you know, while I was there, I actually talked to one of our listeners in Buenos Aires. Yeah, you shot a video of this. Yeah, proving yeah. Proving. Proving that, in fact, Australia is real and not in South America. At least that much. Yep. Well, that's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. This episode was edited by me and by you, Ross. Hello. Hello. Not that we're trying to cut Victor out of the loop. It's just uh, this was an easy one to edit. <laughs> we love Victor. We love Victor. He's not going away. He's great. He- and so why are you jumping down our throats about Victor? People are going to write us messages. Where's Victor? Where's what happened Victor? to Victor? He's my Victor favorite Roth? part of the show. <laughs> We posted a picture recently when I ran into him at Adobe Max, and a few people wrote, well, hello, Victor. He's a very handsome Handsome man. man. It's true. It can't be denied. (laughs) What are we talking about? The end of our show. Mm. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash onrack, O-N-R-A-C. Be sure to leave us positive reviews on iTunes, Mm -hmm. on Stitcher. Okay. On your local bulletin board. (laughs) There you go. So other people can find us. Honestly, honestly, that is such a good idea. Yeah? If people went to their like community bulletin boards and put up little signs that just say, please listen to the podcast, Ona, Ross, and Gary, and send us a picture of it, I will be delighted. You know what? We need to make our own Jack Chick tracks. So we can have people pass around. Maybe that'll be a uh, Max Fun Drive goal. Oh, I like that, actually. Should you be so lucky. That's a fun idea. Mm-hmm. All right. Of course, we have something else to make as well that we have to get done. Yeah, I have a map to do. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Is that the only thing that's still outstanding? I think so. Well, and our East Coast show. But hey, we're well, getting there. We are fulfilling our promises. Yes, we are doing it. No, never say that we're not good parents because we are. Speaking of which, you can support us at MaximumFun.org forward slash, or just slash, donate. If you use the backslash, I don't even know what will happen. Most browsers will still get you there, but I found out recently Safari doesn't get it. Thank you, Safari. Thank you for differentiating between the forward and the backslash like a proper human. Hmm. This is AI. AI is taking over, switching our slashes around. (laughs) Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Podcast. And remember... From Allison Becker, The Owl Song. My life was so boring, all I felt I could do was howl. When one night I looked outside, suddenly I saw a great big owl. I had just finished reading the Harry Potter series by J.K. Rowling. Spookily, the clock struck 3.33 and a coyote started howling. I looked past knowledge and I saw the owl. Now to honor him, I 
be water man yep but doesn't hold a curve here is my talk (laughs) i think we can cut all those together somehow (laughs) there's a good intro in there somewhere okay cool Smurl. I'm Sydney McElroy. And I'm Taylor Smurl. And together, we host a podcast called Still Buffering, where we answer questions like, why should I not fall asleep first at a slumber party? How do I be fleet? Is it okay to break up with someone using emojis? And sometimes we talk about bugs. No, we don't. Nope. <laughs> Find out the answers to these important questions and many more on Still Buffering, a sister's guide to teens through the ages. I am a teenager and... and- I was two butts, 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 butts. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.